This is episode six of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, helping you to discover how to be older without growing old. And here's your host, turning this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Mowat. Welcome back to the Inner Game of Aging podcast. This is episode number six. I want to take a minute to appreciate all those who have downloaded our previous episodes and have left comments. And a special shout out to Devo Potato, who has the honor of giving this podcast its first, its very first five-star review on iTunes. Whoever and wherever you are, it is much appreciated. I am thankful for all the comments and reviews that are starting to flow in this direction. For our Android-carrying friends, you can also find this podcast on Stitcher, as well as its home directory. For those of you without mobile devices, you can go straight to theinnergameofaging.com forward slash podcasts. That's podcasts with a plural. And access all the episodes there through the website directly. For today's guest... We are honored and pleased to have Arthur Rublinger, who is a hospice chaplain who could easily be considered a silver inspiration himself if he could just slow down enough in his life to even find out what that is. Now, I can hear some of you roll your eyes already, but for those of you more introspective, wait until you hear what this conversation contains. We start off our discussion in the area of hospice care, and I should actually do an entire episode on that topic because, as I discover myself, there is so much more to learn in this area. But the breadth of our questions that we are exploring in this discussion go well beyond that initial topic. After Arthur explains what a hospice chaplain does and how does a chaplain handle, handle so many beliefs and religions, we go on to explore such questions as how do people generally view the end-of-life process? What is the difference between religion and spirituality? What experiences encourage our spiritual maturation as people? And we explore the concept of Get this, a successful death. This episode is sure to keep the interest of anyone who's ever wondered what they believe. Now, the audio may be a bit compromised since this is a live recording in a rather echoey room, but I believe the content more than makes up for it. See if you agree. Arthur Howard Rublinger and I've lived in London for quite a quite a spell now. Well, you are a um, you work for hospice hospice services, and you're a chaplain for. Actually, the more I learn about you, the more I'm impressed. You are busy all over the place. Tell well, us about some of this. You have had to pay the price for the busyness because I've had to hold you off a bit as yeah. far as uh, scheduling mm-hmm. our meeting today. 
But uh, I am a hospice chaplain with Compassionate Care Hospice located in Londonderry. And we uh, do not have a hospice house. We focus on being able to care for people either in their own homes or in existing facilities. Mm -hmm. Most of our people uh, come to us through referrals and good word of mouth. And they uh, become our patients as long as they meet specific criteria. And mm -hmm. it is specific. Mm -hmm. And we have to answer to the funding agencies, which in most cases is Medicare. Mm -hmm. And the criteria for someone coming onto the program in the first place are quite stringent. But then staying on the program are quite stringent also. And they are reviewed with the focus on recertification every 90 or 60 days. Hmm. When, a when a person first comes on, they are recertified, it's called, in 90 days, three months. Hmm. And they must pass the criteria for that time or we have to remove them. Okay. Uh, then they are re reviewed again in another 90 days, so a total of six months, and uh, they must meet that criteria. But then... After those two 90-day periods, they are reviewed every 60 days until one of two events occurs. One, they graduate. Graduate? So, yeah, <laughs> graduate. We um, have a party and say, well, you have succeeded. I mean, we're always striving to put ourselves out of business. <laughs> so when we take people, you know, put them on a different medical regime, mm -hmm. or sometimes, uh, well, there are a, a number of modifications that we bring to their care, but we really focus on care and comfort. Okay. And those two C words, it's alliterative, care, care and comfort, comfort. Uh -huh. uh, we focus on that, and sometimes, much to everyone's astonishment, they uh, improve quite radically, mm -hmm. and because they do, they no longer need that criteria. So what does a what does a, a chaplain at a hospice do? Now that sounds like an obvious question, but I'd like to hear what you what your answer to that. Well, what does a hospice chaplain do is multifaceted. You are so busy. Well, oh yeah. <laughs> well, in actuality, uh, when there are specific uh, services to be rendered, uh, as I did today, you know that I had a, to conduct a, a funeral this morning. And that seemed to go very well. So when there are people who do not have an existing church or synagogue or religious uh, orientation, then I often step in to provide them with the spiritual services that they mm -hmm. yearn for. And But then addition, additionally to that, I'm always interested in reconnecting people to their church or their synagogue if it is what they wish. And... You would think that in 99.9% .9 of the cases that would be true, and it is, but sometimes there are positions that people take wherein they feel that um, they walk alone or they mm -hmm. don't walk with the church, so that's, uh, we honor that too. Okay, how do you, how do you honor that kind of choice well, as a chaplain? Actually, sometimes people find that they become more of an existentialist than a member of a specific religious group. And one of the topics that I focus on often and find myself coming back to it 
often is the fact that uh, people really craft their own ways through life and they craft their own ways through the end of life process. Yes. I studied with a uh, brilliant psychotherapist, brilliant, brilliant man, and he had the concept of individuation. Individuation. Individuation, yeah. Is that a word? Yeah, well, I think it is. Uh, It could be coined. But individuation meaning that at end of life, certainly, everybody designs their own pattern. And I think if we study it in other applications, we'll see that this holds true for everyone, which is to say... You would think that most religions are fairly monolithic or homogenized mm-hmm. and everybody believes all the same things. Mm-hmm. And certainly on the larger topics, you're a Baptist because you believe what other Baptists believe or you're a Catholic because you believe what other Catholics believe. But were you to go down the aisle uh, of a Catholic church after Mass on a Sunday morning or Saturday night or Sunday night for that matter, anyway, and interview people, and say, would you believe in this topic? Oh, of course I do. I'm Catholic. Do you believe in this topic? Oh, yeah, sort of. I'm Catholic, you know. Do you believe in this third one? Uh, I'm not so sure about that one. And I gave a, a sermon, gosh, a couple of years ago, actually, where I talked about what I termed, because it, it is alliterative, I called it cafeteria Christians. Cafeteria Christians. Mm, okay. Which means that Christians, but it's true of in, in a any, lot of any, applications, any religion, any religion yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Christian just because it yeah. is alliterative, but um, that we pick up what we want mm-hmm. and we let the rest scoot by, mm. as if uh, you know we just pass by. So cafeteria Christians, and you know there are cafeteria Jewish people, yep. Uh, yep. cafeteria Muslims, cafeteria yep. existentialists. As a as a chaplain, you are, you know, all religions are dealt with in the hospice. Situation. All religions and all non-religions. And all non-religions. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Which is to say, and I'm so happy you've asked that question, because in my style, and this is my way of looking mm-hmm. at it, mm-hmm. so other chaplains look at it differently, but in my way of working with people, I like to meet them initially to do my assessment. And I meet with every patient, unless they decline me, but I meet with every patient within their first five days of coming into our program so that I can work with them in a comprehensive way. And I do an assessment. And for me, again, giving away all my secrets, (laughs) this is a good place for it. Um, I meet with them in a naive status, which is to say there may be some issues that are brought to our attention right from the Mm -hmm. get-go. You know, the patient has dogs, don't let them bite you, or something like that, or Mm -hmm. some maybe elemental things about the Mm -hmm. patient themselves. But when you're going into someone's home, especially in winter, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll put out a general piece that says, watch the driveway, it's slippery, or something like that. Other than that, I don't have a lot of data about the patient. I like them to present to me from no biases, no No, no preconceived notions, nothing, 
I just like them to present themselves to me. And quite honestly, the way that I think I serve my my people best mm-hmm. is to be 100% present. Yes, yes. Now that means... Coming no, in with preconceived notions is not being 100% present. That's so, right. <laughs> so. Because you're looking to validate or... Your own thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So I spend my time, it can be, for some people it can be very brief, 15 Mm -hmm. minutes, half an hour. For other people it could be hour and a half to, or to more, Mm -hmm. depending on the idiosyncrasies of this particular life and the needs. Can I ask a question? How old are you? 73. You are 73. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're supposed to say I don't look it, but <laughs> I was waiting for you. You need to be a little faster with that one, Lee. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll do better next time. <laughs> yeah, please, yeah. Pay attention to that um, So you're 73. Now, um, I need to distinguish between, in your view, the difference between religion and spirituality. Is there a difference? What might be the difference? What are the characteristics of these two, etc.? Glad you picked the easy questions, Lee. <laughs> um, but in actuality, my belief, again, this is Arthur Howard Rublinger, mm-hmm. uh, to be interpreted by other chaplains differently, of course, but I believe that everyone has a spirituality. That means that they have a sense there is something in the world larger than themselves, that they perceive a spirit of humanity or a spirit of love or a spirit of life, that they have a basic spirituality in all things. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty easy to accept. Yes, it's yes. too much of a stretch. There are some people who are atheists or agnostics uh, but yet, when you question them, again, think of that cafeteria Christians mm-hmm. concept. When you question them, do you believe that there is a um, spirit of humanism, for example? Or do you, is there a spirit of brotherhood? I said, oh, yeah, I guess or Even I a do. spirit of nature. Abs- yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, the service that I did this morning was outside, and we appealed to the spirit of nature because I knew that there were people in that uh, group who have okay. an individualized, uh, very very unique spirituality. So and then how might religion compare to this definition of spirituality? Well, religion is organized. Mm-hmm. So when we say that there is spirituality, which can be nebulous and self-styled, mm-hmm. um, not carefully worked out, but just uh, and we embrace a feeling within ourselves, whereby a religion might have a dogma, might have a list of commandments or other issues. So these these distinguish religion from spirituality. Absolutely. You can be both. There's a lot of overlap. Oh, absolutely. And ideally, if you you are religious, you are certainly spiritual, but if you are spiritual, you might not be religious. Okay. So, yeah. So it's like, um, you know... I, I want to challenge one, mm-hmm. something you said. Well, Forgive so. me. No, <laughs> um, so. If it. you're religious, you are, of course, spiritual. That's a statement I like to challenge. Couldn't you be religious without being spiritual? 
Not not easily, certainly. Not I suppose easily. you could be. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you have the opportunity, and, and your listeners as well, uh, I advise you to read a text that has been invaluable to me. And you'll remember it. Okay. Um, you know the uh, yellow books, the the Internet for Dummies, the, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. the uh, Microsoft Word for Dummies. Yeah. There is a text, and there's now Volume Two out there. But Volume One is Religion for Dummies. Really, and I have referred to that book so many, many great, times. Great. I've carried it into the pulpit. I have gone on lectures. I'll be sure to that. the Internet for Dummies, and now there's a second. I think it's another. Uh, Religion for Dummies book or something like that. Okay, volume two. Yeah, volume two. Okay. And that really organizes how religions have existed over the centuries. And, of course, many of them predate Christianity. Mm -hmm. But then Christianity came along, and, of course, that's had a major Mm -hmm. impact impact in the world. Although, interestingly enough, uh, Christianity is only about 30% of the world's population. I know. So exactly. 70% is you know, other. something else yeah. other. Mm. Now, the difference between, again, spirituality and religion, I like to call up some characteristics and mm-hmm. see if you can see this difference in these two words. For example, um, religion, I'm, I'm not sure. You tell me how you feel about these, this comparison. Religion attends to our outer world. Spirituality attends to our inner world. How do you feel about that? I mean, what's inaccurate about that statement, if any? Well, uh, ideally, we are unified people, and inner and outer are interesting concepts, but not defining. Mm-hmm. Uh, truthfully, your parents and mine, and I don't know how old you are. I'm 66. 66, okay, so we're close. Mm-hmm. Um your parents and mine, should you have said to them, Mom, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, they would have, she would have said, Huh? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Exactly. That is a concept that was foreign to them. Yes. Uh, not that they couldn't have thought of it, or not that they weren't even some people practicing it. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, uh, spirituality was thought to be the domain of religions, the exclusive domain of religions. But... Today, um, you know, we certainly are quite comfortable with spirituality existing independently of religion. That's right. And there, as a consequence of that, we're seeing a number of churches reduce in population or in attendance, while there are many people who feel quite spiritual. And when I meet with people and um, they will say, well, gee, we don't go to a church. We used to go to this one or that mm-hmm. one, whatever it is, but we've let our membership lapse, but we still feel very spiritual. Mm-hmm. I'll say, okay, we will just work with that. Yeah. Well, then, see, then here goes another comparison that I'd like to hear your thoughts on. Um, and again, I, I put this forward just to see what, what's out there, what you think. I'm exploring myself. Mm-hmm. One sort of distinction between spirituality and religion is that religion is taught, spirituality is felt. Is that? A, that is. How do you feel about that? That is good. That certainly has application. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that 
either of those taught or felt would be exclusively this and uh, yes. none of that over here. Could you be religious without ha having been taught the religion? Ideally, yes. Okay. However, religion, both of these practices are experiential mm -hmm. as opposed to existing in just in texts mm -hmm. so uh, or elsewhere. The experience of being religious is very important, and in fact, what uh, clergy people hope to do is to be able to influence human behavior and human thinking insofar as they negotiate their way in the world. Mm -hmm. So there should be a certain percentage of benevolence, uh, you know, love mm -hmm. your fellow man. Now, these are common characteristics for both spirituality and religion? Yes, although okay. it would be more formalized, certainly, with uh, religion, whereby they would be stated mm -hmm. and uh, worked out in, in commandments, perhaps. Yeah, yeah this is the dogma that, uh, that most religions contain. Yeah, absolutely. So. And if you join a church... You probably have either attended classes, certainly as an adult you have, mm -hmm. or even as a as a child when mm -hmm. you uh, receive first communion or whatever the, the uh, practice is. You certainly learn things that are crucial to your yeah. religious belief, and you uh, ideally, if you're if you're finding this experience as a child. Your parents are similarly engaged in that church or yep. that synagogue. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so it is reinforced as you are living in the household. Mm -hmm. And um, people sometimes think that when you become an adolescent, that's the time of rebellion or rethinking. Yeah, I like rethinking over rebellion. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I do too. And not only because of that, but because of the definitions of those two terms, um, Ideally, we expect that people as adults are going to accept a certain amount of folklore or uh, things that are not proven as we go through our day-to-day -day lives. And I think that the period of adolescence, rethinking those things, is when that comes up most acutely, and of course the people that are buffed against the hardest are the parents, mm -hmm. and then yep. it, it yep. can have ramifications elsewhere, of course. And ideally, when people go through this period, they come out, and in fact I'm not entirely sure this is ideally, because it, we always need free thinkers. We That's right. People That's to right. rethink the... Uh, you know, the, they're the, the, they're the ele element that moves the society ahead. You bet. So, you know. Yes. So we would be in backward times without free thinkers in our environment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And God help us. I mean, it, it is so wonderful that people do have those thoughts and that mm -hmm. they experiment and think through. I mean, we would be living in caves with That's right. Floods. You said something interesting a, a few minutes ago. You said that um, if I mentioned to my parents that I was spiritual, they'd be scratching their head if I said I was spiritual but not religious. So these, this day and age, spirituality, the concept of spirituality without religion has become a bit more accepted. Yeah, and that's a good thing in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and 
And I'm seeing that, and I wanted to hear your view on this, what you were seeing, you're closer to this than I am, that as we age, Arthur, that our understanding of our own spiritual essence starts to increase. Absolutely. And it's this connection, you know, as we age, what happens to us at the spiritual realm? You know, why am I seeing older people embracing the spiritual concepts without religion necessarily? Mm -hmm. Um, Why am I seeing older people embrace the spiritual concepts? What's your view on this? Thank you for another easy question. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I think that all religious practices and ideation are predicated upon or at least enhanced because of various experiences. Mm-hmm. I had a young couple whom I married, officiated at their wedding, mm-hmm. and they had twins mm-hmm. who lived about three days. Mm. Both of them? Both of them. Mm-hmm. And so I had a funeral for two infants. Now, that mm-hmm. truthfully matured them rapidly. Mm. Rapidly. My Spiritual maturation. Because they had to search for an answer. Mm. And that, of course, is radical. That's right. So do you believe that grief tends to mature us spiritually? Well, grief matures us in many ways. In many ways. In many ways. And part of that is spiritual maturation. Part of that is spiritual maturation, indeed. So I'm always looking at people, observing people, and wondering just how they have matured, either bringing people into the world and having children, or going to war, going to, in the defense of our nation, or any nation, mm-hmm. even that's mm-hmm. what yep. people do. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other experiences of adulthood really help with our spiritual maturity. It's and so it's founded on a lot of things. And, par- and of course, overshadowing all of this is the realization of mortality. Yes. And as people age mm-hmm. and they can't uh, run as fast as they once did or they can't uh, do other things. That do handstands as well, yeah. Handstands <laughs> in your case. Um, handstands for me when I'm falling, you know, falling over or something. But anyway, when that happens, um, people begin to think of their own mortality. Mm-hmm. And when you read the uh, uh, Religion for Dummies text you will find that one of the statements that they make in that book is that every religion, in order to qualify as a religion, more or less, Mm -hmm. in their view anyway, every religion has an explanation or some accommodation, if it's not an explanation, Mm -hmm. some accommodation of death. Death, yes. Mm. Some way of understanding it. Now, I once was, uh, well, this was a few years ago when I was the head of the New Hampshire State uh, 
the uh, Hospice Chaplains Association of the State of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And we were having a meeting. There were maybe 12 or 14 of us sitting around a bigger conference table than this. And I just wanted to challenge them a bit. And I asked everybody there if they were dressed for work. Well, of course, chins hit the tabletops uh, at that time. But they said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, this is a luncheon meeting, so I presume you're halfway through your work day, and so you are dressed for work. And people said, well, yes. So I asked them, what sort of presentation are you making to the people who are seeing you either for the first time or for the 50th time? And there was one fellow there who, in his practice, wore a big wooden cross around a mm-hmm. necklace of some kind, a mm-hmm. leather band. Um, and that's the message that he wanted people to see as soon as he came in the door. Interesting. Other people, uh, a couple of Catholic priests here, dressed in black with a Roman collar. Mm-hmm. That was the message that they wanted people to see right away. I can't remember if there was a nun at that meeting or not, but that could could well have been. Um, So what do you want people to see as opposed to maybe one or two of the chaplains there wore um, polo shirts? Yep. Mm -hmm. Open collar, whereby... Arthur Howard Rublinger has a shirt and tie most always mm-hmm. and try to be color-coordinated, but sometimes they miss the mark. <laughs> you know, and, and certainly dressing in winter when everything is dark. Yeah. Um, so what do people suggest by that? When a chaplain goes into a hospital room or a nursing home room, wherever mm-hmm. the patient happens to be, what's that first impression? Yeah, especially with that cross or even. Oh yeah, I used to. Oh, I you know just I love to tease him about that because he was very. uh, I can I can see the point you're making. Yeah, and so, um, so it's interesting. So is that spirit? Sorry to interrupt you. Is that spirituality or is that religion? Yes. Well, the polo shirts could be spirituality, and then you might find as you go along, that this is a Catholic priest, but it's his day off. Yeah. His spirituality didn't go away. That's right. Neither did his religion, actually, but it's not evidenced by his attire. Yes. So, what uh, does that mean? You know, what's what's the bottom line on that? First of all, I mean, how are you dressed for work? Yeah. How do you want people to see See you when you come in the door? It's interesting. What sort of image do you want to put forth? You're making a statement about your own beliefs as well. That you know that that wooden cross makes you a very bet. different statement than the fellowship. So now, um, so we feel that aging ages us spiritually as well, um, and. I want you know we have certain human phases that we go through you know toddlers teens young adults etc cetera, etc cetera. and with this growth we continue to mature um, well past our thirties forties fifties until we die at the spiritual level our maturation doesn't stop or you know there's always a more fulfilling place inside of us to understand um, and so that's at least my take on it. Our spiritual maturation is like our breath. We don't stop growing until we stop breathing. 
Absolutely. And yeah. so there's more for us to understand as long as we are alive. And even then, I don't know that it stops. But what are the signs of spiritual maturation? For example, I'm speaking to you. I've spoken to you. I've had several conversations with you. And I recognize that you recognize spirituality around you. You, know, um, you speak to me. How do you judge my spiritual or anyone's spiritual maturation. It's not that you are here to judge anyone's spiritualization. Mm-hmm. That's really expressed mm-hmm. incorrectly. I'm not here to judge your spiritualization. Right. But but we all go through there are signs that we are exploring this area. When you t- speak to a per- um, a person, how do you what do you use to judge how to approach him spiritually? Well, in actuality Everybody, as Bruce said, is individual. Mm. So the expressions that they will offer will be unique to them. So how do you judge love? How do you how do you feel like you're in That's love? That's a good you question. Just, you are tuned to it. Yes. I think to be very candid with you, Lee, that there are archetypal pieces within all of us that resonate. It's like something somebody sets off an alarm inside of us or a buzz or mm-hmm. a hum or a, a resonation of some kind. And that we are much, much more complicated yes. than we recognize. Yes. And so we have these existential pieces within us that uh, just are tuned into finding the pieces that we have inside us in other people. Uh, so when that happens, when there is a spirit of brotherhood in the mm-hmm. room, if you ever walked into a room and you felt alienation, or walk into another room and you feel camaraderie, where is that coming from? That's coming That's right. from within you. That's right. And you can feel that, uh, say if you were going into a courtroom and you know that uh, people had... Uh, feelings against you, you know, mm-hmm. Charles Manson or someone, mm-hmm. um, you would you would feel that, mm-hmm. ideally, un- unless you are a psychopath or a sociopath, <laughs> uh, or if for some sorrowful reason, unable to have feelings mm-hmm. or sensations or awarenesses of that type. Um, you, I would sense that. I would sense that immediately. Absolutely. I have this personal measure it's not quite so much a measure because it's still subjective I sort of connect a personal a personal evolution with recognizing our spiritual nature and to if I know you I start to be able to see you as a more complete person beyond your words I start to see into your soul and so I start to look for things in order to judge a person's personal evolution, especially on the spiritual plane. I start to look for characteristics like um, how comfortable are you being by yourself, mm-hmm. right? Because we find that our embrace into spirituality leads us into silence a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, I am extremely talkative, otherwise I wouldn't be a podcaster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I find as I connect to the spiritual side of me, my talking subsides a bit. You know? And I can see that over the years as I watch me as a 30, 40, 50s. You know? mm-hmm. Also, um, you know, 
looking out into the world, you know, as a baby boomer, I have been afflicted by this me situation. Baby boomers turned a we into me when they seek their own self-fulfillment. But as I get older, I am seeing me and others turn this me back into a we. And those of us more personally evolved are quicker to turn this me back to a we. You know, and I start to recognize spirituality all over the place. You know? and You're wiser than you know. Because it always has seemed to me that the, and this doesn't quite apply to you yet, but certainly applies to me, and that is the elders of our society are given a wisdom just because of having lived. And, of course, we're very, our, our society is very... Uh, youth-oriented. Uh, well, very youth-oriented, and also the the pieces of youthful, I mean, the electronics and mm-hmm. uh, all, all of those those pieces, which are extraordinarily valuable. So mm-hmm. this is not a put-down of that. However, we talk about the wisdom of elders and the experiences of elders. I remember years ago I gave a sermon about uh, the fact that we should draft elders as opposed to 18-year-olds, and the reason for that is that there would be a, a human cry that you would never, Absolutely. ever believe. Uh, and we would save the lives of our 18-year-olds. And uh, This is so, so, so true. Mm. I am looking at... I'm glad you agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, so true. Yeah. It's not just because I'm the age I am. The um, I recently started a program called Wisdom from Our Elders. Mm. Because in other cultures... Being older in that respect is a honor. It's a You've pride. People come to the elders to resolve, to understand their difficulties. Mm-hmm. Elders have seen the cycle of life so many times mm-hmm. and see the patterns that younger people do not see. Mm-hmm. And I'm often amazed as I speak to older people that have their wits about them. Many, many of them do, much more than you would. Imagine when I speak to ninety-year-olds that you know that offer me advice, share with me their own thinking. Mm-hmm. The you know in this culture we tend to throw that treasure trove of wisdom mm-hmm. aside. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm trying to work on is to uh, you know rejuvenate mm-hmm. our national treasure mm-hmm. of elderly wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, you bet. And, so, and uh, attached to that is the fact that uh, for elder or older males, Mm -hmm. I think there is a certainly a place for older males in our society, and of course males in general, I Mm -hmm. mean uh, the roles of uh, husband and father and so forth are very, very important. That's right. And when I'm working with people, uh, usually in healthcare settings, where uh, even with certainly open employment practices and so forth, which is great, but uh, it's largely a female-dominated field. Yes, yes. Nothing wrong with that, but it's just how how it happens to turn out. And that's balancing itself more today than ever. Is it? You see a balance happening? Oh, sure, sure. Um, Nonetheless, 
I think that there is a uh, place whereby when uh, a man comes in, along and uh, enters the room and so forth, uh, this, is, this is a certain mail card that uh, sometimes I wind up relying upon to get me to work. <laughs> but anyway, but there's also, and this is more important than the mail card, there's the older mail card. And I think that there is a place for older males to bespeak their learnings over a lifetime. That's right. And to make that clear. And of course, uh, for me, being a chaplain, being an older male is a good fit. Now, uh, being a skydiver or uh, in some other capacity, that would not be a good fit. <laughs> but I'm well suited to this. I'm still working at 73. I know. I'm, I'm working right. full-time for it. That's right. Yeah. You're more than full-time. Yeah, <laughs> more than full-time, it turns out. But nonetheless, uh, working full-time, there is a place as a religious leader. Mm -hmm. And I urge my colleagues, male or female, never to retire because the wisdom gained by years is invaluable. It's immense. It's immense. I just couldn't agree more. Here goes a strange question for you, author. Um, reading all the literature, I read both scientific literature, spirituality, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there's a connection between well-being and spirituality, an actual physical connection. Yes. You know, can you, what's your sense of that? Well, if I could just add a little addendum before I get into the Please, it. please. Um, with people on hospice, there is a longevity that is ascribed to the care and comfort practices when people, you know, very often people say, she don't use that dreaded H word around me. What's the H word? Hospice. Hospice, okay. When people hear that, they'll say, gee, don't use that word, please. Um, however, paradoxically, people who go on to our programs and who receive the care and comfort are destined as if the practices work out as they typically do, will live longer than people who do not have that care and comfort practice. And as you undoubtedly are aware, in terms of medical practices, it is more mentioned now than heretofore, will you choose treatment A, treatment B, or none? Hmm. That's right. And that third choice, N-O-N-E, none, never used to be offered. The uh, curative practices are stopped, and the care and comfort is emphasized. Okay. So we accommodate it's what is called symptom management, whereby people are managed in terms of uh, pain mm -hmm. or any other troublesome issue. All of that is addressed. But in terms of um, you know uh, chemotherapy, radiation oh, yes. therapy, yes. Any of those dreaded things, mm. those are ordinarily eliminated. Interesting. And as an outcome of that, people feel uh, much much better. Mm -hmm. And they, no bit of an exaggeration. Working with a lung cancer patient a few uh, years ago, um, she was having all sorts of chemotherapy and some radiation therapy. Blah 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 blah. Came onto our program and within four days, four or five days, 
where whereby she had been flat on her back and miserable, she was sitting up and ready to go uh, go for a drive in the car. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, she wanted to take the wheel. I don't think anybody wanted to do that. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's true. But you were referencing uh, in a very eloquent way, Lee, the um, matter of maturity and spiritual maturity. That's right. And if you listen to TED Talks, which... I love. I love too. Yeah, you know that. I've been. I believe it's Brene Brown. Yes. Yes. Dealing with vulnerability. Yes. I was I so taken by that that I wrote a sermon and I gave her all the credit. No plagiarism uh-huh. allowed here, for sure. <laughs> but I gave her all the credit and urged people to listen to TED Talks. However, I have people quote me, and then also quote Brene, mm-hmm. relative to being vulnerable. Hmm. And The concept you're touching on now impacted me quite powerfully. As you may not know, um, in 2004, I had a very devastating accident. I had to become as vulnerable as I've ever seen me become. But that author transformed me mm-hmm. in ways that I could not imagine. I still feel that transformation mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just incredible to watch people try to save your life and you can do nothing. It is just an incredible experience. Absolutely. You don't come out of that the same person. Mm-hmm. You do not come out of that same person. And that certainly has enriched your life. Absolutely. I would. It's funny because I say I wouldn't want to go through it again, but that accident has been one of the most valuable things that has happened to me mm-hmm. in the transformations. But I feel, you know, you know that there, throughout our lives, not just at the end of life, but even throughout our lives, our spiritual connection is part of, is not divorced from what keeps us healthy. You know, um, oh, you absolutely. Know. And so my connection to the world is what keeps me healthy, and mm-hmm. my spirituality supports my connection to the world. Absolutely. And so, you know, and so there's a health benefit to recognizing who you are inside mm-hmm. of you, mm-hmm. yeah, and becoming conscious of all that's happening inside of you. Sure. Yeah. And so, um, well, and when you think of uh, certainly Christian people believing that the body is uh, God's temple, mm-hmm. well, then you make sure that you do not fold, staple, or mutilate that body. Okay. You take care of it, mm-hmm. and you eat intelligently, mm-hmm. or to the best of whatever the knowledge is available. At that's that right. Time. That's and right. Sometimes those change radically. Yep. Nonetheless, you do everything that you can, and you uh, avoid, uh, insofar as you're able, um, jeopardizing situations. That's right. And uh, not only that, because you have the concern for your brothers and sisters, that you seek that for them. That's right. But I I look at you. You're 73. You run around like a 16-year-old. You drive this little yeah. car and you yeah. run around like a 16 mm-hmm. You're just so busy. When I say mm-hmm. run around, I don't mean run around partying. You are just so busy, it's hard mm-hmm. to get hold of you. Mm-hmm. And this is not a typical 73, right? Now, Actually, I don't know that, maybe, but uh, it could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and in actuality, now I live near a 55-plus community, uh-huh. and I see people there who are decided to take it easy. And I decided not to. That's an understatement. (laughs) 
So, so we mentioned grief earlier as a way that people tend to connect to their own spirituality. Grief is, you know, grief is one of the ways that we start to suspect that we are more than who we think we are in terms of our spirit. Yeah. Very well said. Very what well said. what is what are some of the other triggering factors that clues us into our own spirituality? Of course, hardship of all sorts. But it almost sounds like see the list I have, I'm holding in my head sounds like we have to go through bad times to recognize something good about us. Oh. Something's not, something's not right there in my what mind. What about the birth of a child? That yes. Yes. So close. Yes. And yes, you're right. When I do the uh, baptisms of children or adults, for that matter, um, that is ch- those are just occasions filled with joy. And, you're right. You're right. You know, so that it, it, I'm not know, sure how I excluded that from my mind, but you're absolutely correct. Another thing that I do is um, conduct weddings. Oh yes, but now, that's a the, moment too of maturing and. Acknowledging where you are, not only before your potential spouse, but also before God. What is going on here? Hmm. What I, How I, have I changed? You know, am I ready to accept this? You know? Absolutely. And so so you were right. asking me, are there times other than grief That's right. that bring us? Birth of a child, certainly. Baptism, certainly. Yep. Uh, just so many, many things. Waking up every morning Absolutely. and understanding, especially after you've had four months of hospitalization. Yes. Waking up, seeing the sun. That's right. Is, if, I have two questions for you, two remaining questions for you. Hmm. Um, uh, as a caregiver, not necessarily a hospice caregiver, you're taking care of elderly people, not people who are at the end of life. How should spirituality play in the duties that you get involved in with this, with your charges as a caregiver, what's you know how should you take into account spirituality as a caregiver? Any tips there? Absolutely, for hospice chaplains or hospice chaplain wannabes or caregivers, whatever, yeah, caregivers. that there are certain pieces that we understand to be obstacles to if you'll. Pardon, this, this, uh, this term is going to seem like an oxymoron, but it isn't. A successful death. Ah, this is not an oxymoron to me. Well, it isn't to you. Mm-hmm. If we're, you know, uh, mm-hmm. 2004, your experience is certainly. Yeah. But um, a successful death. and I, I believe in such, you call it an oxymoron, I do not see it as an oxymoron. Yeah, we are success in so many things in our life, and successfully dying is just one of them. So, Absolutely, but so. we are very death averse. Yes, and I know. You think that we are uh, aging averse, or we're youth oriented? Yes. The flip side of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly are very death averse. Yes. Well, the, part of the fear of aging is that bringing us closer to our own death. Of course. And once you accept the mortality of life, as you accept birth, you must accept death. And mm-hmm. this applies to yourself as well. Mm-hmm. For some reason or other, after my 2004 accident, death appears very different to mm-hmm. me. Of course. Yeah, so. of course. So I have a last question for you, author of Ubinger. Oh, nuts. Um, that fast. Huh? And I, I ask all my guests this question, no mm-hmm. matter what the topic we're discussing is. Mm-hmm. You are now 73. Mm-hmm. What surprises you the most about being 
73. What surprises me the most about being 73 is A, that I feel well. Mm. That surprises you? Well, uh, <laughs> I work at it yeah. to feel well. Mm. And I think if I didn't work at it, if I didn't spend 30 minutes on the elliptical this morning, and if I didn't do push-ups and mm. sit-ups and all that stuff, uh, that I would feel less well. But nonetheless, I feel well. I feel that uh, my dementia, uh, you know, I've been able to <laughs> not having dementia, yeah, uh, uh-huh. maybe, uh, who can tell fully. But, Unless uh, you have a conversation and you yeah. decide, yeah, I don't have dementia. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's usually determined by somebody else. Yeah. But nonetheless, um, it's, it's just wonderful to be alive. I agree. And I agree. When we think about the things that enhance our spirituality as we mature, I've had 365 times 73 times to be thankful and to appreciate the fact of being alive. That's right. I so, mean, it's just beautiful. I took a morning walk on motorcycle ride. I just, it was just being alive amongst nature is just. So, so good. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm some, usually out at five in the morning with my dog. Oh, no. That's walking so around. Oh, no. <laughs> with my dog, and who's ready to get up and go. Yeah. And we just commune with nature. And it's, just, it's just so wonderful. Well, Arthur, it's been a pleasure. Wonderful to know you, Lee. Wonderful, wonderful. to be with you. Thank you for putting up with me in my erratic <laughs> schedule. Thank you. It is not a problem. And that wraps it for episode number six of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. I certainly hope that you found that conversation as insightful as I did. You can head on over to the show notes page for this episode at innergameofaging.com, no spaces, forward slash podcast, with an S, IGA006. There, you will find more information about the things that were mentioned in this episode. I would love to hear your respectful comments as to how we can make this podcast better. Please feel free to leave comments on the show notes page or perhaps a review in iTunes. You can also email me directly with the following. Lee at innergameofaging.com So, until next time. Thanks for listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast with Lee Mo Watt. Check out more content by going to theinnergameofaging.com. That's theinnergameofaging, no spaces, dot com. Stay with us as we learn the many ways of being older without growing old.